Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we study your word tonight. Help us to understand some of the characteristics that identify a good man in the Bible, uh, always remembering that naturally none of us are good. We are all away from you, and it's only through your, your saving grace and then your sanctifying spirit that any of us can behave in a way that would honor you. So, Father, thank you for working in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so look at our text. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. That's such a great verse, because can I promise you something? In your Christian life, you're going to fall. If you think that you're going to make it without ever failing, you're just wrong. Amen? Man, we're all going to mess up. I might mess up before the sermon's over. It's, I, I read this uh, thing in one of my commentaries. He said, we should always pray like this. Pray understanding, when I pray, I sin. When I preach, I sin. When I sing, I sin. When I work, I sin. We need to understand we are sinful beings. Amen? Man, that demonstrates that it's only by the grace of God that any of us make it. You know, as dispensationalists, we believe that God has dealt with people differently at different periods of time. In the garden, you had the dispensation of innocence. And they were just innocent. And the only thing that they were required to do was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they denied God and ate of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. That led into the dispensation of conscience. In the dispensation of conscience, they were able to let their conscience be their guide. How did that work out? It didn't work out well at all. They're out of the garden. They're struggling. Uh, Cain kills Abel. And they go on until... You end up with the flood. Men's, what God looked at man and his behavior was only evil in the sight of the Lord continually. After that, you have the dispensation of human government. We think that if only we have the right leaders, we can take care of it. And that ends in the Tower of Babel. We're going to build a tower to God. After that, you end up with the patriarchs. And we figure if only we can have godly men who can show us the way, we'll do all right. That ends up with the law. They end up down in Egypt. They have to get out of Egypt, and that ends up with the law. So then God provides the law, and during the law, they have to believe God, and they have to bring sacrifices to God. And they can't even do that. God tells them that they need to have a sabbatical year. Every year, they need to, every uh, uh, 50th year, they're supposed to let the land rest, all of those things. They didn't do those things, so God sends them into 70 years of captivity. Finally, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He dies on the cross. Now we have a new dispensation. That's what Paul calls it, a new dispensation. And that's the dispensation of grace. And do you know what God wants of us? He wants us to believe in Him, confess our sin, to trust Him for our salvation. Beyond that, He wants us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to His Word. Now you need to understand something. Do not miss this. The people that God had required all through history never had the information that you and I have. They also did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They did not have the sealing and keeping Holy Spirit. They didn't have the mystery of the church, the body of Christ, where we're able to come together and work together and have mutual support and aid. They didn't have any of that. 
And yet the Bible says, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. And yet we sometimes get to the place where we say, it's just so hard. It's just so hard. And folks, I'm not denying that. Sometimes the Christian life is hard. Amen? We all get down. We all struggle. We all fall. But do you know what? We have Him with us. And when we fall, we won't fall completely. He will keep us. Amen? So now as believers, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone... Oh, let me say this. The point in every one of those dispensations is they all end with a failure. Each and every one of those dispensations ends with a failure. The dispensation of grace that we're in, the Lord will come and take us out. But what happens by the end of this age, nobody's listening to the gospel. Even preachers are preaching a false gospel. According to Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says we don't know that we are poor and miserable and naked and blind. That's where Christianity ends up. So then Jesus Christ returns. He takes us out. They have the tribulation on this earth for seven years. And then you have the last dispensation. That's the dispensation of the millennium. The millennium is where Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning in righteousness with a rod of iron. The only thing that's done is justice, and and it's all right. And yet at the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed, and there's a bunch of people that follow him. And they have no excuse because all they've seen is perfect righteousness and justice from Jesus Christ. Do you know what that tells us? That salvation is always and only of grace. It's completely of grace. The fact that any of us get to take that next step that's ordered by the Lord is grace. It's just grace. So let's not look at it. You know, I'm going to be challenging you and trying to motivate you to take whatever the next step is in your walk. But don't think of that as a drudgery. Think of it as it is, and that's the grace of God that he wants. He doesn't want anything for you but good. And he's going to take you to that next step for your good. So now let's look. We looked this morning. We understand that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. We have all gone out of the way. There's none that understandeth. That is stated very clearly in Psalm 14, the exact same thing in Psalm 53. And then Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. It all says the same thing. So Old Testament and New Testament, we're all gone out of the way. Nobody seeks after God. The only reason any of us come to him is because of the grace of God. Amen? So now let's look at what the Bible, how the Bible describes a good man. I said this morning, sometimes we talk about holiness or righteousness or right behavior, but what does that mean? Well, let's look at some practical applications of it. Look at Psalm 112. Psalm 112 and verse 5. I feel like I was just talking really fast. Psalm 112 and verse 5. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings, for his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see, uh, until he see his desire 
upon his enemies. All right, so now here's the idea. A good man, verse 5, showeth favor and lendeth. Now, it's an interesting thing when we see that. The Bible tells in other places not to lend. So what's it speaking of? Well, in the other places where it talks about lending and not doing that, it's talking about lending and charging usury, which is interest. And most of the time, and the reason that people have hated the Jews in places where they would go was they would be money lenders, but they would charge high interest rates. That's usury. So what the Bible says is if you see a brother that has a need, loan him the money if you can. But remember, when you loan it, you're thinking of it as a gift. Because if it's not paid back, if it's not paid back, he's still your brother. So then, so the idea is that when you see somebody who has a legitimate need, you help them. Now, let me say this. Man, sometimes we're really good at removing the chastisement of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people need to go through a hard time. How many of you have gone through a financial hard time and it was the best thing that ever happened to you? Yeah. Man, you, you rein it back in. You get back in control of it. But if you always have somebody bailing you out, General Motors then you'll never get it right. Amen? But if there's someone who has been good with their money, they're doing what they're supposed to do, and yet something happens to where they need help, you're there to help them, and you're able to loan. But don't loan money, don't loan money that you cannot afford to lose. How do I know that? Look at the verse. A good man showeth favor and lendeth, he will guide his affairs with what? Discretion. Discretion. That means that you're careful about how you handle your finances. A good man is careful with his money. We need to be careful with that. All right, let's look at the next verse. Proverbs 12, verse 2. Proverbs 12 and verse 2. Let's start in verse 1. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Now, uh, we were talking this morning about how Titus tells the pastor to speak, to exhort, and to rebuke. We are very proud people. When we refuse instruction and we refuse reproof, reproof is where you demonstrate what's wrong and you show what's right. When we refuse reproof, that makes us brutish. Isn't that a great word? Brutish. Let me, let me explain to you what that is. Animalistic. You live like an animal. How many of you understand that we have a culture where many people are living like animals? Why? Because they refuse instruction. They refuse instruction. Um, so now let's look at the next verse. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. So here, this is a blessing. I love this. We have the ability to be good because we have the salvation of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Do you know what that means? I can have the favor of God. And this is something that we all need to be reminded of. How many of you this week, will you be honest? I haven't had you raise your hands yet. Be honest. How many of you felt like you did not have the favor of God this week? Any of you feel that way? 
You do. He looks at you with favor. He loves you. When, when I come home and my kids come out to see me, that makes me smile. I love that. It's, then I want them to leave me alone so I can sit down for a minute. But I love it when my kids come out. How many of you feel that same way when your kids, when you see them? How about grandkids? That's even better, isn't it? Right? Because you, you spoil them and send them home. That's how God sees you when you come to the throne of grace. Now let me ask you this. How many of you struggle with not believing it, but receiving it? And have you ever struggled with going to the Lord that way? Yeah. I really struggle with that. Because the Bible says, with much knowledge comes much sorrow. And I get to study the Bible a lot. And by studying the Bible a lot, I, re I am really aware of what a knucklehead I am. And so sometimes when I go to the Lord, here I am again. You know, and you know, you know how I feel? You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's that feeling. When if I have confessed that sin, when I come to him, he remembers it no more. It's not in the deepest sea. The Bible says it's washed away. In the Old Testament, it was in the deepest sea. In the Old Testament, it was covered by the blood. In the New Testament, it is washed clean away. It's gone. So when I come to him, I can come to him as if that's the first time I've committed that sin. I got to tell you, man, that is wonderful grace. That is wonderful grace. So now let's look at this verse again. A good man obtain a favor of the Lord... But a man of wicked devices will he condemn. Don't miss that. Now here's, you might say, well, man, I've, I've done some wicked things. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a blessing? He is not going to condemn me. I'm going to bring you a message maybe next Sunday morning on the difference between our work and our works. And uh, I think that that's going to help us. I won't give you any more than that. That's just a little taste of where we're going. All right, now, let's go on. Look at Proverbs, Proverbs 13, and verse 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. The Bible says that we are going to lay up for our children, not expect our children to lay up for us. That means that those of us who are grown-ups have to be careful. We have to plan. That's what a good man does. A good man makes sure that his children are provided for. If God took me out of here right now, I need to make sure that Lydia and Jacob are able to end up with a, with a, a good life materially. That is my job to take care of that. Amen? That's what a good man does. The Bible says, He that provideth not for his own hath denied the faith and is worse 
than an infidel. I'm supposed to do that. Now, this is Old Testament. You need to understand in the Old Testament that God demonstrated his blessing on those people by material goods. When the psalmist says, I have never, I have been young and now I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. That's what the psalmist says. Do you know where that is? That's Psalm 37, verse 25, maybe 26. It's right in our text. What's, well, what about the Donatists in northern Africa who were starved to death? What about the Christians in Sudan right now who are starving to death? What's that speaking of? That was under the Old Testament system where God demonstrated the blessings by material wealth. Abraham was the wealthiest man of his day. Job was the wealthiest man of his day. David was the richest king. Solomon was the richest king. God demonstrated his blessing by material wealth. That's why in the text that we read this morning, when Jesus told that man to give away all he has, and he went away sad for he had, he had very much wealth. I think it was the way that it said it. And then he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, well, then who then can go? Because their understanding was still Old Testament. Because wealth was a sign of God's material blessing. And if those guys couldn't make it, how can we make it? And then they said this, but Lord, we've given up everything for you, houses and lands, and we've given it all up for you. And Jesus said, you can't give anything up for me that you won't receive double in the kingdom of God. You can't give up. You don't give up anything for God. That's what Jesus said to them. But the reason they couldn't understand was because they were still under that Old Testament economy. Now for us, so then God promised them material wealth to that third generation. How does that apply to us in the New Testament? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I got to tell you, it is amazing how much the money, talk, money talks about Bible. It's amazing how much the Bible talks about money. Whenever you look at behaviors, money is always included because money is a, is a big part of our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's look at, ver I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. That's the same thing, isn't it? That's the same thing. We are supposed to take care of our children. Now, let's not get too carried away with this. What does the Bible say in Second Timothy that we're supposed to do for widows indeed? We're supposed to care for them. Because sometimes there are godly people who prepare as well as they can and things don't work out the way that they thought they were going to work out. You have a widow. She is supposed to be cared for by her children. Amen? That's the way that it's supposed to be. Because all of us, I'm sure many of us, have tried to make a wise financial decision and have made a mistake. Anyone here? Has that ever happened? All right? So when that happens, children, you're not relieved from taking care of your parents. That's not what this is saying. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. That never goes away, except for Phil Edwards. <laughs> He's giving his kids the business down the aisle right there. All right. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. 
verse 21. <coughs> Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things... Oh, here, before we do that, let's go back. Keep your place here in 1 Corinthians, and let's go back to uh, Proverbs 13.22. I want us to look at the second part of that verse, and we'll compare that to the 1 Corinthians passage. So back to Proverbs 13.22. All right. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3. What is that talking about? Well, in a Jewish context, the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. When Jesus Christ returns to establish his kingdom, the Jews are going to have this earth. They're going to have it. Amen? So that's what's being spoken of there. In the New Testament context, though, let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 21. Let no man, let, therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So here's the idea. You've got it all. You ever feel like you want more? Anybody ever struggle with that? Would you raise your hand? You feel like you just want more? Yeah, all the time. Please, sir, may I have some more? More, more, catch him, snatch him, hold him, scold him. Right, remember that? How many of you remember, know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, it's Oliver, right? Oliver. See, here's the idea. All of us... How many of you are a little freaked out right now? I'll just do a little dance. <laughs> all right, so here's the idea. All of us, we have this desire for more, and sometimes we think that that's covetousness. No, the Bible says that God will enlarge our hearts. Sometimes we want more, but the problem is we're looking in the wrong place. God will provide all of those things for us. We need to find our fullness in Him, understanding that one day this is all going to be ours. We're going to rule and reign with Christ right here on this earth. It's all going to be ours. Understand, folks, this life is short. So let's not get carried away by what we have and what we don't have here in this life because God has promised us everything. Is that what the Bible says right here? Everything. All right, Proverbs 14, 14. Talking about what is a good man. Proverbs 14, 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Now, this is an interesting passage because most of the places in the Old Testament where it talks about backsliding, it's dealing with the nation of Israel. But here in this particular passage, it's talking about an individual. An individual who is a backslider 
in heart. Now, we need to understand that backsliding is not losing your salvation. If you come from a holiness background, Wesleyan or Nazarene or even some uh, free will Baptist, if you come from that kind of a background, backsliding to them is called reprobation. That's where you lose your salvation. The only problem with that, according to Hebrews chapter 6, if you do lose your salvation, if you do lose your salvation, you can't ever get it back. Aren't you glad you can't lose it? Backsliding is not talking about losing your salvation. Backsliding is very simply going backwards in your faith. So let me give you a test. This was a commentator that I read earlier. He said this. Here's what backsliding is. Getting more excited about anything than being saved. How about that? I don't know about you. This little list that this guy gave us, I don't like it at all. Because there are many times in my life where I'm excited about other things more than the thing that is the pearl of great price. It's the most valuable thing in the world. That's perspective, isn't it? That's perspective. A slacking off of Bible reading and prayer. Now, that's a clear, that is a clear indication of backsliding. Wouldn't you all agree? Would you agree with that? It's very simple. Uh, a lessening of desire to get home to heaven. Now, I used to struggle with this when I was younger. Um, you know, I wanted to live before Jesus Christ returned. Anybody, any of you guys know what I'm talking about with that? I'd love for him to return right now. I would, but that's not the way that I live. And we learned this morning that that looking for the return of Christ is a real challenge to holiness. It really is. But I need a desire to go home. I need that desire. Um, <clears throat> then, an increase, another sign of backsliding, an increase in critical, in a critical and self-righteous spirit which enjoys condemning other Christians. That's backsliding. Because when you understand how far God has brought you, man, you can't be looking at somebody else to judge them. You can't be critical and judgmental. And in the ministry, that's easy. It's real easy to get there. Another one, a loss of fruit bearing. First manifest in an, in an indifference toward witnessing and passing out tracts. Because think about it. If I have something that is the most valuable thing in the world... It can't be diminished. It's good for everyone. Why wouldn't I tell people about it? Why wouldn't I want to share that with somebody? If I had the cure for cancer, I'd sure love to give that to Kathy. Amen? If I had the cure for heart disease, I'd love to give that to some of you that struggle with that. If I had the cure for arthritis, I'd love to give it to you. If I had the cure for... Stupidity. I'd love to give... Well, there's no one here that I would have to give that to. But honestly, if I had the cure for one of these terrible things, 
and I wasn't wanting to give it, we have the cure for eternal life, for eternal damnation. We have the cure for that. Do I really believe that? Well, then I ought to want to tell somebody about it. And a lack, when you first got saved, you did. A lack in that is backsliding. Um, a defiant, this is a, this is a clear one. A defiant attitude toward giving and a resentment over messages on tithing. I had someone one time, he's, he's gone now, he's gone home to be with the Lord, I think. Um, and uh, I had said, I, I just it was the first message I ever preached on tithing. I'd been here several years before I even said anything about it. And man, this guy got mad. He got really mad that I had the audacity to tell people they're supposed to tithe. It's interesting. Do you think, where do you think his heart was? Seriously. How about you? When I talk about tithing, when the Bible is very clear, it doesn't matter whether you make $100 a week or whether you make $100,000 a week. It doesn't matter. God set the standard for all of us at 10%. That was before the law, during the law, and after the law. You can scour through all the theological books that you want to to argue with me on it. You're just wrong. I'll take the Bible and show you. People don't like it, and they resent it. Do you know what that's called? Backsliding. Because you don't think that, that God's work and God's word and your eternal life are valuable enough to support with your finances. That is called backsliding. Then... Time, this kills me, time taken up with TV, family, yard, and car, which formerly was given to Bible study, witnessing, church going, and prayer. That's a sign of backsliding. It's a sign of backsliding. Then look at the text, 1414. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. What is that? This person, he's going to be filled with his own ways. Do you know what happens to the person who is backslidden and they have replaced their desire for God with desire for things? They've replaced their desire for service with desire for sports or desire for activities or desire to accumulate or even the love that God has given them to give to someone else They spend only on their families. So here's what happens. We think that we don't have money or time or emotional room to do what God wants us to do. That means that God's a liar. It also means that we've backslidden. Then, how is someone filled with his own ways? There are illustrations of that in the Bible. Elimelech and Naomi outside of the land in Ruth chapter 1. Jacob outside of his land, Genesis 28 through 34. How about the prodigal son? The prodigal son's heart was in a far country a long time before he was. Before he came to himself. His heart was already there. I wonder if there are people, your body is here right now, but your heart is far from. We've all been there, man. If, if, if this is convicting to you right now, don't get under a burden of guilt. Just get it right. 
Amen? Amen. Get it right. Here's some checks for the backslider. What is my attitude toward visitation? What is my attitude toward organized outreach for God's chosen vehicle of expression in the church age, the local church? What's my attitude towards that? What is my attitude towards prayer and Bible study? What is my attitude toward evangelistic preaching? What is my attitude toward the Bible? What is my attitude toward giving? What has more attraction to me? TV? Sports? Social life? Souls? Growing in grace? Who am I seeking to please in this life? My father? My mother? The crowd? God? Self? Are my real treasures here or hereafter? Let me ask you something. Is there anyone here, anyone at all, who somewhere in all of these lists that I've read, the Lord spoke into your heart about something? I, all of them for me. And I'm not going to stand up here and say, hey, watch me, be like me. I'm reading this stuff and saying, I can't say what I'm going to say. It's a bummer, man. It is a bummer. But do you know what this is? God is so good. When you go through the Bible and you have to start explaining what's going on in the text, God is so good. He challenges us, he challenges us about where we are right now. Man, I'm glad we're all here to hear this tonight. I'm glad that I'm the one that has to say it because it's a real challenge to my spirit and my heart. Um, let's finish these up. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. How many of you are glad we're moving off of that one? Luke chapter 6. Oh, I didn't finish it. I didn't give you the good part of the verse. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Shall be satisfied from himself. How is that? Well, the Bible talks about eating of the fruit of your own hands. That's a satisfying thing. Accomplishing something in Bible reading. That's a satisfying thing. Leading someone to Jesus Christ. That's a satisfying thing. Knowing that you're right with God in your finances. That's a satisfying thing. When we have given properly, then when I go and buy something, I don't feel guilty. Amen? Because God wants us to enjoy the fruit of our labor. That's, he gives us so that we can enjoy that. So we're satisfied here in this life with the things that we do and in the time to come when we have rewards to lay at the feet of our precious Savior. We're satisfied from the things that we've done through the power of the Holy Spirit that are right. There's all, you know what? God always rewards us for doing right. God always rewards us for doing right. Okay, now let's go on. Luke 6, 45. And just so you know, I didn't cherry pick. I just opened up my Bible software, pulled up good man, and went through it. There's some that had to do with being a king and some things that didn't apply to, to walking. But anything that had to do with just behavior, we're just in a row, in a list, going through them. All right? So here's the next one. Luke 6, 45. The Bible says, A good man 
out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So here's the idea. If I have a good heart that's been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, then my speech will match that. But even as a believer, if I have an evil heart, that's what's going to come out. How many of you know bitter people? What comes out of their mouth? Bitterness. Godly people, they speak to the use of edifying. They build people up. They help people. They instruct people. But you've got to have a good heart to be able to say good things. And it's so funny, when you watch someone who doesn't know God and they try and say good things, absolute silliness comes out. Amen? You watch some of these speeches at reward shows or you watch these politicians who try and say something good. They don't have anything to say. They don't have anything to say. Uh, I watched uh, Glenn Beck. He spoke out at some big stadium last year. And it was for the Mormons. And he is a Mormon. And he was preaching to them. And he was passionate, man. He was sweating. He was preaching with absolutely nothing to say. It was so sad. There was no substance to anything he had to say. Didn't have anything to say. Now, politically, he's got some great ideas. When it comes to Scripture, when it comes to understanding what's really true, he has no idea. Because the carnal man cannot understand, comprehend the things of God. They're foolishness unto him. Out of the heart. So a good man will speak good things. Luke 23, 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went into Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. You know what a good man does? A good man will risk everything for the king. A good man will risk everything for the king, even when it looks like all is lost. This guy was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, maybe he had heard what Jesus Christ said about the resurrection. Maybe he hadn't. But how many of you, as you read that, he, he begged, he pled for the body of Jesus. He took Jesus Christ's broken body and wrapped it up and carried it away. Can you imagine that... Can you imagine if that was someone that you loved? It, uh, Dr. Edwards was the coroner, and he, got, he had to see a lot of misery. But what if it was Aaron? Can you imagine what that would have looked like? Different, right? This is Jesus. But here's what a good man does. A good man sacrifices his own personal comfort and safety for the king even when it doesn't look like there's going to be a reward. Sometimes you just need to do what's right. That's what a good man does. When the chips are down, you just do what's right. 
I know that some of you have recently had to say hard things to disciples. You're a good man. You're a good man. Doesn't always turn out right. But God will reward your faithfulness. Let's continue to speak the truth in love. Let's continue to sacrifice for the king and to do what we are supposed to do according to the word of God. Amen? Some people have never had the joy of sacrificing for the king. I feel sorry for him. Then, John 7 and verse 12. John 7. Let's look at verse 10. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. It's interesting. It's interesting. The feeling or the opinion that people have of Jesus Christ. We were watching this debate this morning downstairs and Christopher Hitchens said that he hoped that God didn't exist because if he did he would be it would cause him to be depressed um, I, I had someone say that if Jesus Christ is real when I see him I'll spit in his face because he's evil um, the opinion that people have of Jesus Christ so let me ask you and I, and I hope that you'll answer me out loud is Jesus Christ a deceiver or is he good so now here comes the question do you believe him? All of the things that he said about a good man, if we believe him, we will, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, be obedient to those things. Amen? And he'll guide our steps. He'll guide our steps. Let's look at the last one. Acts 11.24. Acts 11.24. I love this one. I would love for this to be said about me. I think all of us would. Acts 11, 24. Let's look at verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Gentlemen, ladies, young people, children, wouldn't you love for that to be said of you? So here's what we know about a good man. A good man is full of the Holy Ghost. You can't be full of the world and the Holy Spirit at the same time. You can't be full of the word of God and of wickedness at the same time. Amen? Most people cannot think about more than one thing at a time. You can only be filled with the Holy Spirit by emptying yourself of self. So he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. We took this test about backsliding a little while ago. How's your faith? A good man is full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. Are you full of faith? Do you believe God about the things that He has said and promised you?
Do you believe Him? And then, a good man is full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, and much people is added unto the Lord. When you're full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith, people come to Christ through you. Folks, we need, we need a whole church full of people that are full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, who are bringing people to the Lord. Amen? It doesn't mean that we save them. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. But we bring them to the Lord. We bring them to the Lord. We bring them to the Lord. That's what a good man is. God will order our steps to do those things if we humble ourselves before Him and become obedient to His Word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word.